Welcome to Perf Damage. Welcome. This is the place where we talk about our favorite movies and the people that made them. That's right. And this week we have a tale about a guy named Kroger Babb, a producer that you may have never heard of. I didn't. I'd never heard of him. I hadn't either. But it turns out he's the guy that inspired William Castle. And John Waters. That's right. And John Waters. But is not very well remembered. Yeah. And what we're going to do is we're going to find out why. Yeah. We're going to find out who he is. Who he is. Why so influential? Why was he influential? <laughs> and why no one I'm not remembers doing this well. him? And why isn't he more well remembered? You know, I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so dumb. Sorry. So if you want to hear more about Kroger Bab and learn about the guy that inspired all those other cool dudes, stay tuned. Hey, movie lovers, I'm Adam. And I'm Charlotte. And welcome to To Perf Perf Damage. Damage. We're a movie-obsessed husband and wife team who work in the film industry. I oversee film restoration at Hollywood's oldest studio. And I bring the inside track from film development and production. And we love to explore the hidden tales of movies past and present. So join us for a cinematic journey like no other. From classic gems to examining the art of the double feature. This is Perf Damage. Popcorn pop, wine at the ready, let's press play. All right. Well, welcome back. Welcome. And let's get into talking about Kroger Bab. We found out about Kroger Bab by going to the John Waters Pope of Trash exhibit at the Academy Museum in Hollywood. Which is awesome, by the way. It is. If you are local, highly recommend checking it out. Very close to the beginning of it, we saw this thing that had different people that inspired John John Waters and memorabilia from his collection from these people. And the first one I see is William Castle. So I make a beeline right for that because if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, we did an audio only podcast on William Castle, a two-parter. Yep. Two-parter. This is where, you know. I'm not dropping the thing in. uh, But this is is where it would go right here about (laughs) William Castle. You're ruining my flow, bro. Sorry. (laughs) So we see this thing on William Castle. We see all these little, you know, little memorabilia that he had. And then you walk down a little bit further and there was a poster for this movie called Mom and Dad. And it said a Kroger Bab production. And we were like, who the heck is this And I guy? said, who the heck's Kroger Bab? Yeah. So we get home and the first thing we do is we look up Kroger Bab and we can't really find that much information on him, which there's a light bulb that goes off. Yeah. <laughs> He's definitely... That kind of carny, impresario, bigger mm-hmm. than life character that we like to talk about. We do. We do like um, those. And, you know, there would be no John Waters or William Castle without... Possibly. First, there being a Kroger Bab. John Waters did say that when he saw Mom and Dad, he that is the single film that inspired him to become a filmmaker. That's right. So, he was so impressed with that film and the shocking aspect of it that uh, he knew he wanted to be a shock filmmaker. So let's start at the beginning. Kroger Babb was born Howard W. Babb in Lees Creek, Ohio in 1906. Okay, wait. So his name is not Kroger. So 
<laughs> Why is he called Kroger Bab? Yeah, Kroger is his nickname. Okay. Um, the nickname that he got when he was a kid. And so, so do you have the story of how he got that well, nickname? Well, here, here's the thing. Uh, just like all things Kroger Bab, uh, <laughs> there are m- multiple stories about how he got his nickname. Kenneth Turin uh, wrote an article, and in that article, he said that he got his nickname from his father's favorite brand of coffee, which was <laughs> B.H. Kroger brand coffee. Why would he get it from his father's brand of coffee? I that doesn't make any sense. I don't know. It, yeah. All right, what's what's the other one? But this is the one that I think is is the true story. Um, this came from David F. Friedman's autobiography, and this is a an account from Kroger Bab himself. As a kid, I worked after school and Saturdays at the Kroger store in Wilmington, and all the other kids started calling me Kroger, and it stuck. So he used that ever ever since. Bab started his working career as a sports reporter for the local paper. And uh, he even earned a sighting in Ripley's Believe It or Not. (laughs) Well, this is, you know, because he likes to self-promote for a record number of refereeing youth sporting events. Okay, was there a record before? I don't know. I don't know. Eventually, while he was working at the newspaper, he was promoted to the paper's advertising manager. Which is where he fell. (laughs) That sounds dangerous. Yeah, he fell in love with the art of promotion. He's always had an affinity for self-promotion, and he was attracted to publicity. So in 1934, Bab became the director of advertising and publicity for, now, pardon me if I say this wrong, but I think it's Warner Shakira's. Warner Shakira's was the Midwest theater holdings for Warner Brothers Pictures, so... This okay, was so like a local company that owned all the a big group of, of a chain of chains. theaters, right. yeah, um, that Warner's owned. Right. So this was before they broke up, and uh, this was before the Paramount the decree. Paramount decree, yes, yeah. So this was the Great Depression, and uh, there were a lot of people out out of work, and so a lot of people would do these crazy stunts to earn money. Always dangerous stunts. There was a guy who would strap himself to uh, a rocket. And they set the rock, rocket off. Um, he ended up dying eventually. But yeah. oh, no shit. <laughs> but yeah, so they would do these kind of I things. Mean, people were desperate. So, uh, and they would always attract a big crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a good way to, to pr- promote. And so Kroger saw all of these things happening. I mean, it was no different than Harry Houdini. Right. A- absolutely. Mean, yeah. It's the same kind of situation. Right. Except for these people were less talented. <laughs> Um, less worried about safety. And, yeah, and, and certainly prepared. not worried about safety at all. Um, so he came up with the idea of uh, burying somebody in the ground outside of movie theaters. Oh. So they would break up the concrete, they dig a hole, um, and they would bury him like 10 feet in the ground. And he would go into this coffin with... 10 a, feet? Yeah. Why not six? I, I don't know. But 10 feet. He was in this little coffin with a window in it so you could see his face. That little... Well, I mean, it, well, I don't think it was that little. It's <laughs> impressive. But so they would feed him soup and he would go in the ground for like a week while this the whole run of the show, basically. So a movie would come in, it would run for a week and he would be buried in the ground promoting that film. Um, he had a little phone. Basically, you could just talk to him if you wanted to. You know, he's he's on display and people would gather around and talk to him and and do that kind of stuff and so uh, this was uh, really successful for um for Kroger Bab mm-hmm. um and in fact this guy got so popular that after Kroger was done using him for promotion he went around and opened supermarkets and 
uh, grocery stores and things like that. This guy actually had a career. In fact, there is a movie tone news uh, reel with Digger O'Dell in it. Really? Yes. Uh, another thing he did was he came up with this concept called Grocery Night. Kroger would go to a local grocery store and they would donate $10 worth of food, which $10 worth of food at that time could feed a family of four for like a week. So that's a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so here, here's the thing, though. You could, get, you could get a ticket to be entered in the drawing for free from the grocery store. But in order to win, you had to be present at the movie theater, and so you had to buy a ticket to the movie. So those were just a couple of the things that uh, that had him adopt the moniker of America's Daring Young Showman. That is what he called himself after this. At a certain point, he decides that he's learned enough. Or Warner Brothers. Warner C. Yeah. yeah. So he decides to go out on his own and uh, becomes like a publicity gun for hire kind of guy. So he would go on the road with different movies. Yeah, that he was hired to do publicity for. So Right, and then he would sort of figure out how to advertise to each specific uh, specific town that they were going to. Right. He would come in. He would do all kinds of articles in the newspapers. He would take uh, advertising out. He'd do radio spots. He would, uh, you know. Drum up interest. Drum up interest. He, he was one of the first guys that started doing direct billing, too. Like, uh, What's direct billing? It's you would send advertisements to everybody's mailbox. Right. Directly. So he used direct mail that way. So. Um, he finds himself traveling with a film called Dust to Dust. And this is a film that was called a birth of a baby film. He's working for these two guys named Cox and Underwood. Cox and Underwood are part of a group of guys that are known as the 40 Thieves. The 40 Thieves, and and I'm just going (laughs) to... That sounds like a group you want to get involved with. Well, this is where he learns all the ropes right here about being independent. (laughs) They're a group of independent filmmakers and distributors that operated outside of the motion picture industry haze code that was in effect from 1930 to 1968. Well, you know we like that. Yeah. So they peddled sensationalist content, often promising more than the films could provide. (laughs) They were named the 40 Thieves by law enforcement and motion picture exhibitors. So basically, they would roll into a town... They'd play for one night and they'd be out with all your money before the dawn breaks. <laughs> that's why they got called the the Forty Thieves. They promise oh, you the world funny. and deliver on none of it. Um, so yeah, this is his first experience with these guys. Uh, he's traveling with this film called Dust to Dust, which is a birth of a baby film. Now, this is really sensational stuff at the time. Um, it is a live birth shown on screen. And the only way that you're able to do this is to pretend that it's educational. And, ah, and they're I, I also, love people that figure out the loopholes. The little guys yes. that figure out the loopholes. And they're also able to like upcharge by selling sex education pamphlets in between. So this is the education part here. But it's also an, a way to earn extra money for them. Right. They print up these like cheap little cheap things. little pamphlets and sell them for a dollar a piece. Um, That's a lot. That is a lot for back then. It was a movie called Dust to Dust. It was actually 
this movie High School Girl, but with the birth loop cut in afterwards. So Kroger Bab is traveling with this film and he's like, man, this could just be done so much smoother. Like the educational literature was just available for you to buy on the way out. It wasn't like someone was actively selling it to Right, you. it wasn't like part of the movie. Right, it wasn't a part of the process. Right. Um, and then the loop wasn't part of the movie at all. It was just completely separate. They played it <laughs> after the break where they sold the pamphlets and then they would just put the loop on. So this seed of an idea, is, this genesis of an idea is really concreted when he goes to this town meeting in this tiny Texas town called Burr Burnett, Texas. The reason that they were having this town meeting was because all of their high school girls were getting pregnant by the people stationed at the army base on the outskirts of town. This is a direct quote from Kroger Bab here about this. He says, Jesus, what a meeting. All those old biddies squabbling and roasting everybody wanted the whole base run out of town. Then the idea hit me. It would make one hell of a movie. Now he's got the format, and he's got the idea. He's got the idea. But now he needs one more thing. He needs to write a script. Oh, he needs a lot. Yeah. He doesn't just need a script. He needs a script. He yeah. needs money. He needs money. <laughs> he needs a lot. Yeah. But, but he's got it's the idea. all starting to come together now. Mm-hmm. So he's traveling with Dust to Dust still in 1944. And he goes into this first, uh, it's, it's booked in a first run theater in Indianapolis. And you know, this kind of movie doesn't usually get into like the big theaters in, in a town. They often went into drive-ins because drive-ins were usually on the outskirts of town um, and they could uh, get around censorship rules by being on the outskirts of town. All right, so this one is in the, the biggest theater in town. And so the local um, film critic goes and sees the film. Uh, her, her name is Mildred Horn. Her dad is the pastor of the town. Mildred Horn. Yeah. So she is appalled by the content. She sounds like she would be. She was not happy. So she gets out of the film. She berates the theater owner and she says, I am going to trash this film. I am going to trash this film. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I know what she would say. Yeah. So uh, in her review the next day. So the theater owner tells Kroger Bad this and he's like, hey, you know, this, this lady's pretty powerful. So Kroger's like, hey, I'll go talk to her. I'll go talk to her. I got this. I got this. And the theater owner's like, I, I don't think you should. Like, you're just going to make it worse. Yeah. I really want this to play all week know long. this chick. This lady will shut this down. <laughs> and and he's like, I got it. I got it. I got it. Okay. So Kroger Bab goes to, her, to the newspaper. To Miss Horn. To Miss Horn. He takes her out to dinner that night. The review- that same night? The review never runs the next day. The film plays all week long like it's supposed to with no further problems. And when he leaves, he has his print in the car. He has all his advertising gear in the car. And he has Mildred Horn in the car with him. What? Yes. (laughs) What? Yep. He takes her. She becomes his wife. She lives with him for the next 40 years. Willingly? (laughs) I don't think he had her chained anywhere. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> okay. That is one smooth talker. Yeah. He babbed her good. She got babbed. She got babbed. 
Hey, that is not where I thought the story was going. Yeah, it's pretty good. It is pretty, pretty good. good. I'm glad you didn't tell me about yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. So that's how he met his wife? So that's how he met his wife. So Mildred Horn's a writer, remember? <laughs> so now Kroger Bab has the idea to produce this film, and he has someone to write it. Mildred Horn ah. writes Mom no and way. Dad. No way. Really? Wow. <laughs> That is so cool. The pastor's the, the pastor's, pastor's daughter, daughter writes the movie about the girl getting knocked up. Bab has a master plan here. He's going to produce his very own film, but he's going to make it in Hollywood with a legitimate director and cast. And his version of the, all the films that played previous is going to be higher quality than any of the other ones. You know, that was his big idea. So Mildred wrote the screenplay, but she also wrote the pamphlets that they hand out during the breaks. And they're the same. They just had different covers. <laughs> <laughs> of course. So Bab rounded up 20 investors for the film. He put together $67,000 to make it. And then he went to uh, Hollywood. He hired William Bodine to direct. That's a legit director. Yeah, he was he was a really legit director at one point. I think at this point in his career, he was a uh, drunk, and they called him One Shot Bodine because he would never take more than one uh, take on anything. Oh, well, you know Kroger Bab liked that. He did. He loved it. As a producer, heck yeah. They shot the film over six days on the monogram lot, too. Oh, monogram yeah. lot, which is now the site of a Scientology <laughs> Media and production because empire. of course it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but even better, right outside of that is Tiki Tea. Mm-hmm. This really old Tiki bar in LA right on Sunset Boulevard. Tiki Tea's the best. If you're in LA ever, oh, yeah. go to Tiki Tea on Sunset. Has and, the best drinks. And, it- and take a look at the Scientology Center behind, and that used to be Monogram Studios, and order the Ooga Booga. So there's no trailer. But the film, essentially, yeah, so is about a girl that gets knocked up. Yep. Because her mom refuses to talk to her about sex. Right. So she doesn't understand, you know, the ways of the world. Right. And so, you know. She, she gets knocked up. She gets knocked up. And then her boyfriend yeah. dies. The knocker in, in, in a In an airplane crash. Mm-hmm. And then the doctor uh, gets really mad at the mom for not telling her daughter about sex. And so he goes into the school and shows everybody. Um, he teaches the kids about sex education. Sex education. So he shows them a birth loop and a cesarean, a live cesarean section too. Not a live one, a loop. <laughs> they, yeah. they wheeled the lady <laughs> yeah. in the theater. Yeah, and then um, because boys need to also have sex education, they show the boys a VD loop. So... And then that's the end of the movie. But So we watched this movie recently, and I have to say, I went into it thinking, this is going to be total trash. When is it over? No, it was actually pretty good, I have to say. Yeah, it it was not a badly made film, honestly. I mean, go into it thinking it's going to be trash, and it's actually not that bad. But really, it wasn't, because like you said, it had a story and the whole birth thing actually made sense. Yeah, and, it uh, worked within the context of the movie. But um, although, unlike the previous one. So 
we haven't really gotten to the point of him making the film yet, so. No, I mean, you're the one that's telling the story. You're the one that jumped ahead. Yeah. Well, because we were talking about her writing it, so. All right, so now that he has the film done and he has ideas to streamline the delivery, he makes... (laughs) Pun intended. Pun intended. Uh, Yeah, he creates this character, Elliot Forbes, who is a sex educator that will travel with the film. Uh, so he hires actor to play this. So he's almost like the ringmaster. Yes, yes. And so when the film plays, it stops. Elliot Forbes then kind of gives a sermon. You can't live in ignorance and pushes those pamphlets. Pushes those pamphlets. I think the the quote is: "No house is replete without both of the pamphlets." So two dollars. <laughs> two dollars. They should be on everybody's nightstands, is what he says. Which they're not wrong. No, I mean sex education is the only way they didn't teach in schools back then. At one point, there were over 40 people playing Elliot Forbes because mm-hmm. no matter where the, the movie was playing, there was an Elliot Forbes with it. So this guy was really busy. He was all over the place. So in all neighborhoods. Yes, in everywhere. all neighborhoods. So, um, But Kroger Bab found out that Elliot Forbes would sell less pamphlets to the black audience. African-American audiences didn't like a white Elliot Forbes telling them about sex education. So... He had a great idea. He hired Jesse Owens to travel with mom and dad uh, to specifically black neighborhoods. Um, and he was their Elliot Forbes. I mean, they didn't call him Elliot Forbes. They called him Jesse Owens because he's... Right. There's no need. To- yeah. There's no need to change his name. He's, you know, the name is the cachet anyway. But they found that Jesse Owens could sell pamphlets like crazy because everybody just wanted to get close to Jesse Owens. Right. Right. right? So, yeah. So... Kroger Bab was agile and and would pivot when things weren't working. It yeah, was, you know he was a smart guy and he and he always liked to streamline and uh, maximize profit. So uh, that that I thought was really interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. So and then the, another thing that he did was he came up with the idea of segregating screenings. There was a teenage girl and female only screening. So he would separate the ladies. Because from the dudes, yeah, ladies and uh, and dudes, and dudes, yes, <laughs> yeah. ladies and dudes. There yeah. was lady only screenings at two and seven, and a dude only screening at nine. Oh, yeah. late at night. The idea behind that was that you know because of some of the material in the film, women felt more comfortable being only amongst themselves. Right, you wouldn't look around and have some creepy dude staring at right. you, making eye contact. Correct. But it also made the guys more excited by right. the fact that, like, what they were going to see was something super lascivious because did they think it was they couldn't be... be trusted to be in the same room as women while it's being on uh, being shown on the screen. So, Mom and Dad opened in January of 1945 in a Warner Brothers theater, of course, because huh? they worked for Warner Brothers. Yep, yep. sure use those connections. Yep, in Oklahoma City, the film earned uh, in its entire run and ran all the way into the 70s. They estimate between 80 and 100 million dollars. Is what it made. Is what it made over the course of its What's run. What's that adjusted for inflation? That that is adjusted for inflation. 80 to 100 million dollars. Okay. Well, for yeah. a little independent film that cost $67,000. $67,000 to make, 80 to 100 million is really good. Mm-hmm. It was dubbed into dozens of languages. It played in 47 states and 72 countries. It was the third highest grossing film of the 1940s, according to Time Magazine 
And yeah, and I, I saw another fact that Time Magazine said on this one. Yeah. And that it was uh, one out of every 10 people had seen the film. Yep. Was that in the world or was that just domestic? In the world. Time Magazine claimed that one out of every 10. That's crazy. So four years after it came out. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. Crazy. Okay, so Kroger Bab is on an all-time high. He's made this movie... Where does he go from there? How does he how does he beat that? How does he top that? Well, the answer is you'll have to tune in to our next episode to find <laughs> out. That is the tease. answer. What a tease. Yeah. That is true. We have we have babbled We've to access for the day. Babbed it up. We have. So we're gonna cut it here. We're gonna do a part two to continue. We've got Kirk Babs right up here. Is he gonna go here? Or is he going to go here? Come back? I, I think people know. Come back? I don't think they know. No, I don't. No, they're going to lose sleep. I'm sorry. <laughs> Until the next one comes out, guys. Sorry. Blame Kroger Bab. I don't know. All right, so we cheers. 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 Cheers to Kroger Bab. Kroger Bab. And cheers to you, the person that stayed for the whole episode. Thank you. Well, we appreciate you. Until next time, thanks for joining us here on, on Perf, Perf Damage. So Mildred didn't just write the script. She also wrote the pamphlets that they hand out. <laughs> just finish it. <laughs> I knew I shouldn't put that there. Well, it's popcorn. Of course you're going to eat it. I know. Of course you're going to eat it. Hurry up so I can eat this popcorn. All right. So...